Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana News blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm at the Hamilton Southeastern Schools Administration Building, and it's always uh, a pleasure to welcome to the podcast Matt Kegley, the Assistant Superintendent of Teaching and Learning for the HSC School District. Dr. Kegley, welcome once again. Thank you, Larry. Good to be here. Much better to be uh in this setting than the one we had last time we talked, we were on Zoom. We were. It was necessary, but uh, not the best way to do a, a no, podcast. Much better. And uh, I was, uh, even though I can do video on Zoom, this is a I, this is a much better setting to sit here and, and talk to someone. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and the reason we had to do uh, Zoom last time is because we were still in the depths of a pandemic. So I want to start with this question. As you look back, particularly on 2020 and 2021, have, have the, the staff members, the students, the families, have we fully recovered from what we had to deal with during the, the pandemic? Well, I think, I think we're returning uh, to what we all might refer to as pre-pandemic routines. Um, it's difficult to know where every every person is on that spectrum to, to make a, a, a broad assumption that we've all recovered from that. But um, I do think that uh, with the start of this school year, um, at least to this point, we've we're we're seeing uh, um, you know similar routines, similar expectations, uh, similar um, just the way we go about doing business. Um, that, that makes us feel like, um, you know, we're, we're maybe how we started the school year in 2019, 2020. And, um, you know, the, the, the cautionary tale, (laughs) at least in the back of my mind is, um, we were, we also started last school year in, in that same you know, a very hopeful state of things are going to be better. And, and then I think it was shortly after Labor Day, we were making some adjustments to, you know, masks or no masks and having all those conversations. Now, at least at this point, certainly we don't see that in the offing um, anywhere. Uh, And I think a year ago, we were, we were, starting to hear about numbers going up and those types of things. So uh, we're all hopeful that that um, that's behind us and that we will truly be able to go on um, with a with a more with a school year that's more like we're used to seeing. Number of issues I want to talk about. I want to start off with this. You um, recently reviewed some detailed data on test scores, mostly for tests taken in 2021 and in 2022. And before I get into that, uh, you did mention the fact that COVID had an impact on all this. Uh, explain how the COVID pandemic might have impacted some of those test scores you were uh, reviewing with the school board. Well, I, I don't. I don't think it's a shock um, for anyone that we 
we were in a state in the last two years of um, definitely in the 2021 school year where we were we were remote, we were in school, out of school again. Uh, we just did these fluctuations back and forth. We had students in some cases who who never were maybe in person during the 2021 school year. Um, and then last year, while we never had to shutter school for COVID-related uh, uh, issues, we certainly saw an impact in attendance just from this, the number of students that were out and the number of teachers that were out due to COVID. And, um, you know, we did get some uh, relief when some of the health department guidance uh, guided by the governor uh, helped help to put some practices in place that if we did this, we could keep more kids in the classroom. And so that was helpful. But we all know that if we're going to, we're going to spend time learning, teaching and learning, um, that consistency is important and that being there every day is important. And, um, so I think the overall impact of just the stops and starts and the inconsistency in some cases of, um, whether it be the teacher that's out or whether it be students that are out in mass, um, certainly can have an impact on, on the learning that takes place. Yeah. And remember, you know, this, not this school year, I think the last school year, if I recall correctly, considering the size of HSC schools, fourth largest in the state, uh, if you uh, use the number of, of students as the measure, you never had to close the school. And uh, that was not the case around most of the state. Most of any size, most of these school corporations had to close buildings at some point, and you were able to manage things in such a way. And there's a little luck involved, you have to admit that. But uh, you also kept masks on, and some some people in the community didn't like that. But it was Dr. Stokes, uh, Von Stokes, the superintendent, who kept mentioning at school board meetings, look, I, yeah, the math, we don't like the masks, but we want to keep kids in the classroom. We want the students in the classrooms. We want the buildings open. And and that was a success for you. Yeah. I mean, it, it that absolutely was our goal. Um, if, if we were going to, to make strides over the previous school year to that one, we needed to have kids in the classroom. And, um, that was, that was the method in which we went about it. I don't, I, I, I know that there were districts that, that maybe were impacted more severely. And, and we certainly came close. Let me tell you, I mean, there was certainly times where, um, and I would almost say it was from a more of a staffing perspective than it was from a student perspective, um, of just having enough folks that even if a teacher was out, that we had a sub that we could put in the classroom. And, and, you know, it was, we always, we always talk about being all hands on deck in our buildings, but there were many days where last year, where, um, our principals were in classrooms, uh, people from our administration office were in classrooms covering, um, simply because we were, we were trying to keep the doors open. So, I'm glad we were able to do that. Yes, that uh, I've heard that story from a number of staff members. They did what they had to do to, right. uh, to keep the buildings open. Let's move on to something that is of great discussion around the community, and that's academic performance. And, uh, you know, social media is a lot of different things, but uh, there's a lot of discussions and comments made on social media. I have to tr track some of it as someone who, who writes a local news blog. 
There are people in this community who are arguing that academic performance at HSE schools overall has dropped. What's your reaction to that comment? Well, my my reaction is is I guess first with a question is what what metric are we using when we make that statement? Um, it's it's I guess easy to say make this that kind of statement, but if you if you're not referencing uh, the metric the the assessment or whatever it is that we're comparing. Uh, I, it's hard to it's hard to know where to to how to respond to that because uh, you know I think most people when they say that are perhaps commenting about state assessments. Uh, I learn in this case for grades three through eight, um, and then if that is the case, um, then I guess I would go to um, compared to what and compared to what test because that. That required state assessment has had many versions over the years, and the one that our kids are taking today is not the ones that they took 10 and 15 years ago. Oh, that is very true, and that's been the discussion of many school board meetings and amongst uh, the administrators. But let's talk about some some of, of these these numbers. We can't really get into the weeds of the numbers. You've placed uh, all the data on the board docs, anybody who wants to look at it uh, can, can look at all those, the data that you presented to the school board just a few days before we record this. I'm recording this on August 19th. During that school board meeting, you did describe test scores as a snapshot of a certain point in time. So explain what you mean by that. Well, um, the, the, the tests are designed to, to understand the level of proficiency of our students uh, at the building level, at the district level, across grade, grade spans um, at a moment in time. Um, in, in our case, it happens every spring. And, and that information um, can be used to, to – it is used – uh, at the district level and in the building level by our leaders to look at um, what is the data telling us about the, the curriculum that we're using, the resources we're using, the instructional methods that we're using that we maybe need to say, hey, we're doing really well in this regard or we might need to change for the, ne- the following year. You know, when you take a test in May, you take a state exam in May, those re- and those results come out in the summer, you're not going to affect change for the kids that just took that exam. Those students are moving on to another grade level, but you perhaps may be able to affect change for that next group of students at the grade level in which you're interested in, in making changes at, um, which is, you know, it's a, uh, I learn is a summative assessment. So it gives us a picture close to the end of the school year about where our students are. You know, I, I obviously am not an expert. I'm, I have no PhD in, in pedagogy or anything like that. What I try to do as much as I can uh, as just a volunteer news blog and, and podcaster, I read a number of experts in the field of education. And what I seem to be gleaning as kind of a consensus amongst most of those, because they don't agree on everything, but um, what most of these experts say, test scores would be one way to evaluate, let's say a building or a district, but but 
What I also am seeing is that many of these experts say that there are a number of other factors to consider when you evaluate the academics and overall success. I'm just curious what you're, I mean, obviously test scores are an important component of, of doing an assessment, but is, are there, I should say, are there other factors that need to be considered and how do test scores fit into all that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think when you look holistically about and and you step back to evaluate uh, what individual schools or school districts are doing educationally, uh, you you do have to look beyond the test scores and you have to look at the opportunities that you're providing students. Um, And for us, you know, I I can think of numerous examples, uh, our teacher in residence programs, for example, at Connor Prairie. Nature First at Ritchie Woods, the Agri Park, our Maker Maker Space area at Hub and Spoke. Um, those are all experiences that the students at those various grade levels um, have an opportunity to take learning to the next level. Um, it's hard for those experiences maybe to be captured on a standardized test that that they that a student takes in May. Um, I look at different opportunities our students have at the high school level where they might be out on internships and, and just overall experiences. These are all things that we, I think we as HSE community, uh, Fisher's community can take great pride in knowing that we're not just teaching the foundational aspects of education and the particular grade, uh, uh, subject areas, but we're also, working to give our students a well-rounded educational experience where they can take these foundational skills and apply them to a variety of different situations. When uh, you, on August 16th, presented uh, to the school board at a work session, you did a comparison and a contrast uh, with HSE schools uh, amongst the 41 largest school district in the state. Again, uh, the measurement is number of students there. Essentially, that 41 represents the top 10% of schools. It's a little bit in and out, but it's pretty much the same 41 each school year. Um, I guess my first question is, why did you choose that method of uh, reviewing that that information? That's a great question. You know, I, I think it, it kind of goes back to points back to the question, one of the early questions you asked in this in this uh, conversation um, related to rankings. Um, so one step, as I alluded to earlier, was what, what metric are we using? The other is what are we, who are we comparing ourselves against? Um, you know, the landscape is a lot different in public education than it was 10 and 15 years ago. Um, there are many, many opportunities, charter schools, a variety of non-public opportunities available. There's so much more school choice for families now than there was 10 and 15 years ago. And so um, to just say we're going to do a ranking, uh, just a 1 to 410 or 411, the number of school districts in the state, um, would be including uh, districts that um, that don't, al- don't really align with Hamilton Southeastern Schools, just A, an enrollment, um, you you may have the ability to imp, to have an impact educationally that may show up on test scores with a lot smaller group than you might when you're educating 
you know, 1,500 kids in a grade level, for example, which is what we, we have at most of our grade levels. Um, so the enrollment factor is important because it, it groups us with districts that have similar challenges in terms of educating the number of kids that we have. Um, the other thing is we picked that group because um, it puts us in a, in a group of school districts that we are often compared with in a variety of ways. Maybe that's location. Maybe that's a demographics. Um, maybe that's, um, you know, we're real familiar with these schools because that's who we play athletically. Um, I mean, the familiarity when people look at that list and see, oh, these are the schools in that district or, oh, yeah, I know where that is. And um, so it puts us in a place of comparison, not just by enrollment, but also by, I guess, familiarity with um, and, and, and are often schools that when we think about, hey, we want to we want to do great things, we often get compared with other districts as well. And it's interesting with the data you presented, I'm not going to get into a deep dive of the numbers, but I will say this, in most of those comparisons, whether it's uh, uh, language arts or it's math, uh, when you looked at all the data, HSC was in most categories third place right right behind Zionsville and Carmel. And all three of those uh, districts are suburban, well, northern, I guess, the northern suburban school districts to Indianapolis. So there is some uh, familiarity, as you put it there. Um, so I found that to be, it'd be interesting. There were a few other school systems. I mean, one in the far north, and there are a few others that were in that mix. But uh, 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 I guess I'm just going to ask you a general question about all that data wrapped up. Uh, when you looked at that data, you you put some conclusions. You're welcome to look at that board docs document. You put some some do- comments at the very end, uh, just to explain to the community what you came away with when um, doing the deep dive in that data. Well, using that that 41 uh, school corporations as the cohort of comparison, um, you know, I I was in, I am encouraged by uh, looking at. Uh, the fact that we made it so many areas where we increased our ranking or we went up in the rankings um, at the various grade levels and the various subject areas. Um, so that was very encouraging. Uh, and, um, you know, it does just look at us compared to last year. And so we know that there, there, may, have, there may have been some in the 2021 school year, we know that there were a lot of districts that were uh, stop and start in terms of in-person education. And so on the one hand, um, I would have I would have hoped that we would see an improvement because um, we had a more consistent educational experience last year than we did the year before. Uh, and I hope that the benefits of this school year also reflect that. But most of the schools in that in that 41 also had those same, experiences for the most part, I think we can say generally. And so the fact that we still grew in rankings when compared to those other districts um, speaks to the great work that's going on in our classrooms every day. I think something that's related to all this, uh, I can still recall when Alan Borf was was superintendent, that there was a great deal of work and discussion about uh, a concept called portrait of a graduate. Well, that all 
had to be shelved because there, with the pandemic, there was just really no way you could you could work on that. That's coming back to the forefront again. So what I would ask you to do is one just describe to the community what Portrait of a Graduate is and, and, and the status of that program right now. Uh, in, in a nutshell, Portrait of a Graduate is um, – is aligning K-12, um, those characteristics that we want to see uh, in a very public way, in a very clear way, those characteristics that we want to see our students have by the time that we that they graduate from high school in our district, in a nutshell. Um, and we all play a hand in that. Um, you know, oftentimes our high schools get a lot of the, uh, you know, the the notoriety around their graduates because that's the most recent experience. But but high school graduates weren't uh, didn't become high school graduates in the four years they spent at high school. That all started back early on in their entire development. So the portrait of a graduate allows you to line up uh, the vision and mission K to twelve and say we're all focused on on these traits when a student graduates from Hamilton Southeastern schools, regardless of which high school it is, we know that we've prepared them K-12 to, to walk away with these characteristics. And, and all the voices along the way would have a hand in determining what those are. And uh, there might be, there might be uh, assessments or, or experiences that we try to uh, include along the way to see how we're doing. How are we measuring? You know, we, you just don't graduate and we see, oh, do you have all these five, for example, these characteristics? We might do checkpoints along the way to say, uh, well, here at fifth grade, it looks like they're progressing down this particular path. Um, so, yeah, um, it's just a it's just a way to bring alignment um, and a clear focus to what we want graduates of of Hamilton Southeastern Schools to to be and what that looks like as they're experiencing that along the way. I was uh, not able to attend the last regular school board meeting. I was out of town on some family matters, but uh, there was a presentation made by the Central Indiana. Educational Service Center. It was a grant proposal that was brought before the school board, and it. Uh, after watching the video, it took up the lion's share of the time for that meeting. There were a lot of questions and discussions among the board members and the people representing that service center. Um, the board's questions were, well, okay, if we accept this grant, is that going to lead to something we'll have to pay for later? I mean, there's always those concerns, but uh, just uh, explain what this proposal is all about, the grant program, or what that could mean for HSC schools? Well, that particular uh, presentation, we, were, we, were, we had signed on to be a part of um, a grant application with uh, the service center, and um, they were awarded um, the, a portion of the, I think it was close to $3 million that they had asked for on behalf of seven districts that had come and joined the grant application. We were one of those seven. Um, it wasn't fully funded because the state had such an, um, there were so many applications that they couldn't fund everybody. And I think they chose to perhaps fund as much as they could and give more, uh, more awards than to not turn, than to turn people down and, and award people fully. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to use that. And the whole focus of that particular grant was to uh, bring the portrait of a graduate work 
to a realization. Um, like I mentioned, we're one of seven districts, and and those seven districts, as I have learned and and heard more about this process, are at various stages with their own conversations about portrait of a graduate in their district. The other thing that it, it um, aligns with is uh, the the Indiana GPS uh, dashboard. Um, and um, it, it is an IDOE initiative that is very uh, closely aligned with a portrait of a graduate work. And it's something that we would be working towards anyway. And so um, this kind of helps us accomplish maybe two tasks as we work on portrait of a graduate. So it essentially brings your staff to some kind of a training class, if I understand that correctly. Uh, explain how that works. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna it, the grant includes us um, uh, visiting uh, a district here in a, in a few weeks in Ohio that has um, really worked hard at at this portrait of a graduate work and it's been in fruition and now it's in place and so that we can kind of see what does this look like on the back end when you put in the work and you bring in the community stakeholders, uh, which is which is representatives from all over. Um, it's not just uh, students and parents and teachers, but it's uh, community members, it's, it might be business leaders, it's going to be government officials, it's got, you could go on and on with who would come to the, to, the, to the table. But when all of these groups provide input on what they want to see out of the graduates uh, in our district, this visit will help us see what does it look like when that's been implemented and then what are the, the, uh, the benefits of having that. And so that will be the kickoff to us working on this process with the hopes of bringing a large number of stakeholders together uh, to provide input as we prepare our own portrait of a graduate. I want to move on to um, an issue that's actually been around for a long time. I think as far back as I can remember, there's been talk of some sort of career center in Hamilton County. And you had a presentation at the recent work session by Carrie Lively. She's now the executive director of the Hamilton County Center for Career Achievement. This has been uh, funded by the county council to look into this this possibility. And, uh, you know, we used to call this vocational education years ago. That term has now been cast aside. It's it's described in many other different ways today. And I know you, you offer this uh, um, amongst your own students here. You offer it within the school system. You also send students to the J. Everett Light Career Center and North Central High School. The one the one thing that I came away from that presentation with is just how much it costs you to send those students to J. Everett Light. It is a pretty expensive proposition compared to what you offer here. But then if you offered that here, it would be expensive also. So it's not like you know you could just recreate it here and, and make it cheaper at all. You're giving those students that, that, uh, that, uh, that opportunity. But I've, I've been reading a lot from corporate executives, for example, that they're actually looking f- uh, prospectively for, for employees, not necessarily always four-year college graduates, but people with certifications. Sometimes it's two years. Sometimes it's less. And uh, a career center would be tied into something like that. So I'd like to, to just get your view on what you heard from Carrie Lively and uh, uh, what maybe next steps in, in possibly putting together some kind of uh, career center in Hamilton County, which ACC might, might be part of. 
Yeah, well, I, I, I guess I would be remiss if I, and I, I'm going to make sure to answer your question, but I, I think, you know, when we think about, and you alluded to this, um, when we think about preparing our students for whatever their next uh, uh, f- focus is after high school, um, you know, I think back to my time as principal in the district uh, at HSE High School, and Jason Urban and I at Fishers High School worked to, to, uh, uh, bring about the college and career academies. That wasn't just a physical space. That was a philosophical shift to making sure that we do everything we can to, to help students get to where they want to be. And for a lot of kids, that might be four-year college, but for many kids, it may not be. And how do we ramp up those experiences? Uh, career in tech ed um, is is evolving, and um, you know, Carrie has pointed out before that. Um, the the manufacturing industry, for example, um, many of us think of uh, maybe a an assembly line type of work in a or a dirty factory type of situation. And the reality is that that's not the case. Advanced manufacturing goes on um, in very like just very pristine working conditions and you're working on very precision type of work. And um, so those are the experiences now that so many more students are are hoping to, to go into. And um, this particular uh, shift would be moving us from an, our alignment with the J. Everett Light Career Center to the Hamilton County Career Center, um, if in fact that's the decision that that is is um, decided upon uh, by our school board, so um, we're looking at those options. What I heard from Carrie was was um, you know certainly interesting. I've it, that wasn't my first um, conversation with her on the topic, and and um, I think she's trying to chart a course for how we. Um, not only teach our students about career tech ed and their preferred field potentially while they're with us, but how do we do that while they're with us and also do it out in the job in the in the community and, and in our businesses? And are there opportunities that maybe we're missing that where students can still learn the particular uh, skill that they're trying to develop, welding, for example, but do that in a in a business, you know, right down the road, um, that maybe that's an experience that they're not currently getting. So she certainly has an interesting, uh, a perspective on that and a desire to not only get our kids the skills, but how can we do it, uh, out in the actual work environment? As I wrap this up, I want to return to kind of the test score issue in a different way, because when, I, when you look at the results of all on the data, there's so much of it, and you can pick a little piece out, and you have to be careful not to draw a conclusion for one or two pieces of data. You kind of have to look at it as a whole, look at it as a whole, and that is a deep dive to do that. And I've tried, and I don't. Again, journalists doing math can be very dangerous, <laughs> uh, but. There are many buildings doing very well on the test scores, others that are struggling a little more with their performance. I guess the question I would have for you, how do you as an administrative team react when there's clearly a need in a particular building to look at the performance that's happening, whatever grade level it might be? what do you what do you do to support that principal, assistant principal, the staff? What what do you do as an administrator uh, administrator uh, responsible for this to work with those people to see what can be done to to improve performance? It's a great question, and and you know it starts with uh, honestly the school improvement plan that each building 
has. Um, and, and that's a, a requirement of the Department of Ed. And so every year, for many years, our buildings have been working through a cycle where they'll set up, uh, often in three-year three year increments, they'll set up uh, uh, plans and goals for how they want to attack and accomplish different academic goals in their buildings. And um, they'll, they'll uh, set marks, metrics uh, that are from test scores that they want to to strive to achieve, and then they'll put um, uh, action steps in place that they believe will help them achieve those. And so that's I, I say that is step one because that is unique to every building. Not every building is going to have the same goals. It's going to be dependent on where they are right now and where they need to to be. And so um, that works in conversation with the administration and the the uh, the educators and the teachers in those buildings to to develop those goals. They use community their their school community stakeholder stakeholders as well and um, create the goals that they then embark on. Um, the support that we can provide at the district level is helping them try to realize those goals. Maybe that's through professional development opportunities that the teachers need. Maybe that is particular resources that they need. It's also understanding um, the unique makeup of the students that populate each particular school and how are there other supports that we need to put in place that help educate the students in that building. Well, time goes uh, quickly when we talk about these issues, and I tried to get in as much as I could. I could have asked a lot more, but we tried to get uh, the main points here. I'm going to give you an opportunity to add anything uh, you would like to add to the conversation before we wrap this up. Well, I just uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, our, our district and and particularly reflect on uh, where we've been academically. I would, I would really encourage folks to um, look at the presentation from Tuesday if they, if they want to see more that we weren't able to get into today. I would, we will also be updating the district goals on our website um, so they can see what our goals were from the 2021 year, how what, what we have accumulated thus far changes our rankings on those goals. And we don't have all the data yet. Um, there are other pieces that we're yet to get from the state, but as we get those, we'll be continuing to update. Dr. Matt Kegley is the Assistant Superintendent of Teaching and Learning for the Hamilton Southeastern School District. Uh, Matt, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Larry. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. Be kind.